You're listening to Stepping Stones of Faith. I'm Pastor Josh. I would like to invite you to embark with me on a journey, a journey of biblical study. Through practical application of the Word of God, it is my prayer that you grow in greater relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Please join me as we journey to the next Stepping Stone of Faith. The only way you'll ever get the benefits of God is to be reconciled. The moment you step out of the will of God, the moment you step out from under the spout where the glory comes out, as, he would, as my old other pastor would say, you're in danger of losing the blessings of God. Are we at Romans chapter 5? Yes. Starting in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And so we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also boast in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces patience, patience produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God is shed abroad in the hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom has been given to us. While we were yet weak, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, Rarely, of the, rare, rare, rarely for the righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How much more than being now justified by his blood shall we be saved from wrath through him? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, how much more, being reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Furthermore, we also rejoice in God that through our, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Father, thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this time we could spend together. Help us to understand this word Help us to let it set root in our heart, that, Lord, it would grow in us. And, Lord, we thank you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, up to this point, we have been talking in the book of Romans. Paul has been giving them a treatise on the way to live for Christ, what Christ did for them and what Christ has done for us. And now in chapter 5, he is now putting it down to a, to a na nailing it down to a point here. He says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing to know the peace of God. Isn't it? We can go through the hardest times in our life, but if we are, if we are with God or in God or learning of God, then we can know the peace of God. And peace is something that the believer really desires. 
peace of God. I think we've all gone through something to where we realize that we don't have any peace. Where we were frantic in mind and frantic in heart and frantic in spirit if something we're going through. I know the, the news that we've gotten this past week, it's been a frantic time for us, but yet we have the peace of God. And I know with our friends with Levi, when I know when they first got that news that their two-year-old son had cancer, for a moment there's a freaking out, if you want to spare my words, you kind of freak out a little bit. There's an unsettling, there's an there's a, a uneasiness in your, in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, and there's a grieving process, and that's all natural and normal. But believers who believe in God have a peace beyond that. Is it normal for a Christian to have those feelings? Absolutely. But it is also normal for the Christian to step back and say, but I have Jesus and his peace over, overwhelms me. The peace is that the, the peace that passes understanding. We don't understand it, but there's peace. We don't know why, but there's peace. A peace of God. The, the peace of God. He says in verse 2 that through through whom we also have access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and so we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We should be standing on the word of God. Standing on the promises of God. And you, you know the promises are not only the good stuff, the promises are also the, the punishments, the woes. Those are also promises of God. If you don't do what God wants you to do, if you don't follow God, then the promise is going to be you're going to be a, a, apart from God for eternity. That's a promise. But if you stand firm, if you follow God and you stand firm, the promise is you will have eternity with God and he will be your Lord and Savior for eternity. That is the promise we have with God. And she would, so we should stand upon that and rejoice in that. And that rejoicing and that standing should compel us to tell other people. It should compel us to, to shout it from the rooftops, as it says in Scripture. Not that we'll get up here and start yelling. I think we have a bell that tells every, every morning and Sunday school starts. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a telling of the town we're beginning our church service. And you should come. Wouldn't it be great if all of Claytonville came in here one Sunday, heard the bell and just came in, was hungry for God? That's what I've been praying for. You know that? I've been praying for that. That would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. But we have this hope. We have this, we have this uh, peace and we have all of these, these things from God. We should be sharing those things talking about those things with people. Yes, we're going through something, but we have a peace of God. We have, and if you're going through something, uh, somebody once said and somebody once told me, well, told me through a video. I was talking on a, on a video with someone, but they had basically said, don't show me your victories, show me your scars. He likes talking to people that will show them their scars. And what, what he meant by that was, 
he likes people that tells me, tells him, talks him about what God has brought him through in the midst of a trial. Because we do have battle scars in the Christian life. There are the things that God has, brings us through that we, we don't sometimes go come out unscathed. We have battle scars, spiritual scars. We have things we deal with. But we know in that time that God is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. And therefore, that should be shared. That should be shared with others. That others would come to know Jesus. Now, Verse 4, he said, not so, but we also boast in tribulation. Say, we boast in tribulation. That's what, that's what I just talked about. I'm going through something right now, but I know that if I trust in God, he will see me through. That's boasting in tribulation. There's a difference between boasting in, boasting in God and boasting in ourselves, and I've said this before, but boasting in ourselves is, oh, I can... I can muster up the courage to do that or I can muster up the strength to go through that. I can Boasting in God is when we say, I'm going through this, it's difficult, yes, but God will see me through. God has brought me through this. God will bring me through the other. Boasting in God. We boast in tribulation of the promises of God, knowing that tribulation produces patience. So when somebody says, somebody says to me, oh, pray, I'm praying for patience. Don't pray for patience. Don't pray for patience. Tribulation works patience. Patience produces character. Character produces hope. Do we have a hope? You know, if you look at your life and you look at the things in your life, do you have hope? Now, I'm not talking about I hope this happens or hope that happens or hope that, but a true hope that when all things, when, when, the, when the chips are down and the cards are laid out flat on the table, do you have a hope that when it's over, God will be there with you? Do you have that hope? Let's just pretend for a moment that you, got a, that you had a diagnosis of cancer and it didn't look good. And they said, Maybe four weeks. Would that hope diminish? I'm not wishing that on any one of you or, or myself, but we need to think about those things. Or if maybe your child or your spouse or a family member was diagnosed with something and they said, only weeks, would that hope in God diminish? I know when my father was diagnosed with cancer, I wasn't a believer at the time, but I became a believer through his battle. And I remember it was in August of 2002. He was in the emergency room. And it, it didn't look like he was going to make it. And, but I had a hope in God, and I got down to his ear because he couldn't hear anything. He was flailing about and yelling and screaming, and I believe he was, God was 
trying to get through to him, and he was, I think there was a battle, a war for his soul going on, and I got down in his ear, and I said, Dad, all you need to do is accept Jesus Christ. And he said, Son, I accept Jesus Christ. And in that moment, and I'm not joking, I do not exaggerate, in that moment, soon as he said that, it was like someone turned off a switch. Everything stopped. And he sat up and he looked at me and said, what are you doing here? What is everybody doing here? The whole thing stopped. Everything. God brought this peace, that past understanding to his, to his spirit and his body and his mind. And he lived for five months. I don't think that would have been the case had I not been there. But he lived for five months as a believer. And it was the best five months of his life. He told me that. Even though he was facing death, there was no hope for him. But he had hope in Jesus, which bolstered my faith, seeing him go through that and say, I have hope. That was wonderful to see that. And so in tribulation, do we have the hope of God? Do we have that hope? That if when, when the chips are down and the rubber meets the road, if all said and done, Jesus will be there with us. Do we have that hope? I hope we do. I hope we do. He goes on. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, the Holy Spirit's work is so diverse. The Holy Spirit is the active part of the Trinity. It brings, he brings about the hope. He brings about the ability to us to witness to other people. That's why we had Pentecost Sunday. That's why Pentecostal Sunday is important because the Holy Spirit is the active part of the Trinity. He gives us the ability to have hope, experience hope, and he gives us that ability to share the love and the hope of Jesus with other people. He's, he makes us active for Jesus. He makes us active for, the, for others to know the Lord and for others to know the grace of God. And he gives us that love. Jesus told us, we're commanded by Jesus to love your neighbor as yourself, to love one another so that others would come to know Jesus. So we are to love basically everyone. If we're the type of Christians who bicker, complain, and all those kinds of things, where's the love? Amongst ourselves we bicker and complain, where's the love for ourselves? Thereby, where is the love for those that are not within the body? Those that society would call the unlovely. You know, there's churches out there, and, and I've seen a few, where if you're not within their group, they look down on you. And I've experienced that a few times. And that's not fun. And that's not the love of God. That's not the love of God at all. We are to show the love of God. And, and how we do that is by the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit gives us the action to see others as Jesus sees them. They might look rough on the outside. I know one year I, I grew my hair for locks for love and I grew my beard really long and I looked old and I looked, you know, and I didn't look like I do now. And that might have been, I might have been viewed as someone who wasn't really society's best. And see, there's a lot of people like that in our communities. And, but God sees them as his children. And we must see them as God's children. We must see them as Jesus sees them. See them that they need Jesus. They need the love of God in their life. The Holy Spirit gives us that ability. While we were yet weak, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Rarely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, some would even dare to die. Would you die for someone other than your kids or your parents? I mean, think about that for a moment. I mean, if, if, if somebody you didn't know was going, to have the, going for the electric chair for something they did wrong, would you take their place? That's what Jesus essentially did. He died for sinners. He died for those who deserved death. We deserved death prior to knowing Jesus. Do you know the Bible says that if we are not a believer to God, we are an enemy. To God, we have amnesty toward God. We are an enemy of God. But yet, because Jesus came and died on the cross, and if we accept that, then we are called a friend of God, sons and daughters of God, a friend of God, because we accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, one that he did not have to make. Could we do that? Besides for our moms and dads and our children, could we do that? I don't know. I'm being blatantly honest with you, and I, I say, I don't know about myself. I don't know. God would really have to be leading me to do it because I don't know. And I think we could all say that. We'd either say, no way, or I don't know. I don't think there's anybody in this room that would say, oh, absolutely, if somebody walked in and they had a gun on their head, I'd say, move over, I'm going to take it. We don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. But that's what Jesus did. And you know what's, and you know what's great about that is Jesus, did, Jesus decided to do that before he got even created anything. Revelation 13, 8, before God even created, Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, the beginning, before the beginning of everything, Jesus already decided to be our sacrifice. He had already decided it. He didn't have to. God could have wiped everybody out and started over. He didn't, need to, he, didn't, he didn't even need to save Noah 
and Noah's family and the animals. He could have just started over and gave everybody a, a take, taken out the will, the, 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 the will, the self-will, the, 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 the way of choosing or right to choose. He could have said, I don't like what I've created. I'm going to start over with the flood and I'm going to give them no right to choose. They're going to just cho choose to follow me. God could have done that. God could have done that, but he didn't. He saved Noah and his family and two of every animal and seven of others because Jesus had already made the decision to be our sacrifice prior to any of it. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that, doesn't that show the depth of love that God has for us and the depth of love we should be showing to other people? God wants us to love others and love each other. Love ourselves, love others within the church and, and without the church. Now, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What I've just been talking about. In our worst at our worst. Think about your worst. Think about where you've been at your worst. And know that God saw you there. Jesus saw you there. And yet he decided to die for you. Think about that. Think about yourself and the fact that in your thinking about it, do you think you would have deserved that? Do you think you, do, you are deserving of someone to die for you in your worst state? But yet Jesus did. Why? Because Jesus loves you. Jesus desires to have a relationship with you. He wants you to be part of his family. That in your worst, and whatever your worst is, Jesus saw it. God saw it, and God saw you also at your best, and Jesus decided to die for you. It's wonderful. How much more then, being now justified by his blood, and that's what we are. When we accept him, we are justified by his sacrifice. We are justified by his blood. Shall we be saved from the wrath through him? Now that we are believers, and this happens by just saying a prayer and living your life for God, we are saved from the wrath of God. When God sees you and I, he no longer sees the stain of sin. He sees the blood of his Son thereby making us justified with God. Thereby making us justified. Now you might say, well, does that mean we don't sin anymore? Can we no longer sin? Absolutely we can sin. Absolutely we can sin. I think there are days that I repent more than anything else because we sin 
We still live in a sin-fallen world. We still live in a world that is racked with sin. We're, we're, not, we're not immune to the effects of this world. We still have sin to deal with in whatever form it might affect you. We still deal with it. The matter of the fact is, we deal with it, yes, but God is bigger and we must repent of that. We must repent. We are saved from the wrath through him if we repent. And that is the only reason. That's the only way. If we repent, we are saved through the wrath of God. Saved from the wrath of God if we repent. That's it. That is it. We can't do it on our own. We can't work it out. A lot of churches have what they call penance, and you work for your salvation. We've said it multiple times in this series, we don't live by a works-based system. We live by a faith-based system. And by our faith, our works are brought out by the faith, not the faith brought out by the works. And therefore, we are saved through faith, and we are reconciled by his blood through faith. For it was while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, who much more being recon reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We're saved by his death when we accept, but we continue to live in him by continuing to honor him by taking part in his life. And how do we do that? By reading his word. By spending time in prayer. By spending time with other believers. By study. By living a life that is pleasing to God. We are then partaking in the life of Christ. And we are held secure by that action. The moment we step away, I had a pastor that I got saved under, he used to say, the moment you step, on, step out from under the spout where the glory comes out, you no longer are with God. So as long as we stay in God's word, no, as, as, as long as we stay in relationship with God, continually growing in God, we are secure in him. We are secure in him. Stay where God is. Stay where God is. Don't give up on God. He's not giving up on you. Amen? Now, furthermore, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There's a, there's a lot of big words that you learn in seminary. Reconciliation, sanctification, justification, and what these all mean. But we are reconciled. You ever, you ever, you ever have a checkbook? Who has a checkbook? You ever reconcile your checkbook? You know, you go through the register and you check off what's come through. That's reconciling. We are reconciled to God. We have come through, and now God says, you're, you're here, and checks us off. 
You're part of my family. Checks us off. We're reconciled to God. We're redeemed to God. We're redeemed. We're reconciled. The only way you'll ever get the benefits of God is to be reconciled. The moment you step out of the will of God, the moment you step out from under the spout where the glory comes out, as, he would, as my old other pastor would say, you're in danger of losing the blessings of God. We must always stay where God is. We must always stay in his word. We must always search the scriptures. And that's one thing that I, I would implore you to do every Sunday. Be like a, be, be like a um, Berean. You take your Bible and you say, well, Josh preached on Romans chapter 5. I'm going to search the scriptures and make sure what he said was true. Do that. That's how you learn. That's how you grow. That's what I do for myself even. I study this out. I preach it. Then I restudy it. Make sure I didn't get anything wrong. But we must always study the word of God. It is the handbook for life. It is your textbook for living life. God desires for us to, to know him and to make him known. And to know him is not just, yeah, I know who Jesus is. He was God's son. That's not what we're talking about, knowing God. We're talking about when we know God, it's like an intimate knowing inside ourselves that we know who God is. We know who God is. If you were married, when you were married, did you know your spouse? And I'm not talking, yeah, I know who so-and-so is, but I mean, you, you knew what made them tick. You knew what made them, uh, what, they, what, what they were passionate about, what they were frustrated about, what they, were, what they loved, what they hated, what made them angry, what made them... What made them um, happy, what made them grow, what, you know, did you know those things? That's what God desires for us to know about him, to know him in that way. We must know God in that way. If we don't, then we're just playing. We're just playing. We must set it in our heart to know God. And to make it an ability, make it a, a priority to know God, to know His will, to know His ways, to know what makes Him tick, what makes Him angry, what makes Him happy, to know the innermost workings of God. We must set that a priority in our heart every single day. If we don't, we will begin to dwindle. And I don't want to dwindle. I don't want you to dwindle. So do that. Does that make sense? Can we commit to do that? Now, I'm not just saying read my Bible when I'm thinking about it. But set aside time every day to purposefully think about who God is. Prayerfully consider his word and read it. You don't have to do like I do, sit down with a notebook and take notes and 
and all those things, because sometimes those turn into videos and not necessarily learning about God in, for my own growth. But a lot of times it is for my own growth. But sometimes those things turn into videos for YouTube or Facebook. But set aside some time, and I don't know how it works for you. I don't know how it's going to, how it works for me is different during the school year than it is during the summer. But how it works for you might be different than that even. Find out, find a way, carve out your day to spend some time with God. Shut off the TV, shut down the laptop, turn off the phone. Whatever you have to do to make yourself decide you're going to spend time with God in his word. Yes. Find a quiet space and spend time with God. Pray. Seek him. Allow him to speak back to you that you might grow and he might bless you through it. Amen? Amen. Can we commit to do that? Or at least try to do that. At least try to carve out the time. All right? Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you'd bless each and every one that's here. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of you. Help us to desire your word. And Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Is Jesus the fairest to your soul? He should be. He wants to be. Amen. May God bless you this week. May he keep, keep you and help you to grow in everything that you do. Seek him. Seek his face. Allow him to work in your life. Allow him to minister to you. And allow him to touch your life. Jake, it is so great to see you today. Thank you for being here. Get outside the fan here. Thank you. It's really, I'm, I'm very pleased that you're here. Thank you for being here. I hope you come back. All right. Yeah. Well, Jesus is the answer. Amen. And I, I, am, I am glad that you're here. I really am. So thank you for being here today. Appreciate it.